Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuds, and the friendly neighborhood jeweler, Alan Ben Joseph, calling in all the way from the Netherlands. Today, we are going to tackle the Omega Seamaster 75th anniversary release, and we have quite a lot of models to get to. So we will pick up the first question from the mailbag that's from Cyril. He sent us a message on Instagram direct asking, what do you think of the new releases? Every single model, your opinions go. Alon, nice to have you in the studio today. How are you doing? And what do you have to say to Cyril's question? I'm doing well, excited for this episode. And it's good that you jumped in because we have a lot to deal with. On the day that we're recording this episode, Omega dropped the new collection the day before. And I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of disappointed. So a lot to cover. So Cyril, thank you very much for your message sent on Instagram DM. Everybody listening, keep them coming. It's so much fun to record this episode. So I'm a huge fan of Omega. And they celebrated the 75th anniversary of the Seamaster yesterday in Greece. And I'm excited because... They returned the Plopov. The Seamaster collection is big. Up until last year, we had the Aquaterra, range 150 meters. Then you had the Diver version, which was a retro-inspired Diver watch Omega used to have in the collection, I believe launched in 1957. And then you have the 300M. So that's often confusing. So we often in the trade nicknamed the 300M, the James Bond version because that was featured several times in the epic James Bond movies. Then going from the 300, you go to 600 meters, and that's the planet ocean. From the planet ocean, we used to have the Plopov in an old steel version. Then titanium got discontinued silently, and they brought it back. What did they do? They downsized it, getting close to the original size of the Plopov. And it's a monoblock again. So I got excited about that. The Plopov can take up to 120 bars, so they translate that to 1,200 meters. And then, about two years ago, they launched the Ultra Deep, which is a planet ocean on steroids, can take up to 6,000 meters. So eight models because the Aquaterra was split in a 38 and a 41 millimeters, so two Aquaterras. And those eight models launched yesterday have all a special dial called Summer Blue, and they made them often gradient, which is kind of cool. And they go up in darkness, so starting at the lowest water proofness or water resistance, it goes from light blue up to very pitch dark blue on the ultra deep because they say the deeper you can go the darker the blue gets for me that's very gimmicky it's cool that they did that but what i'm disappointed in is two things i hoped that they would have done another retro which is very cliche but that's what the collectors often want make a retro seamaster they don't do limited editions anymore at Omega. What is not clear to me that with this capsule collection for the 75th anniversary, they did make a special case back because I believe you have Poseidon riding the waves or the oceans 
on two seahorses, which the seahorse was a logo used by Omega, actually on several models, including the Speedmaster, which technically is weird, but Omega started off with families using these family names for their brand around the 50s, and then they split it up into Seamaster, Speedmaster, you had the Constellation, you had the DeVille, you had the Manhattan, which now today doesn't exist anymore, but I'm deviating. So going back to the Seamaster, I hoped for a, a, a retro-inspired version. It might come, it might not. I hope they would indeed bring back the Plopov, which they did, but since they went back to more original case dimensions and construction, so the monoblock, I hope they went back to the original style codes and color codes. So black dial, orange hand, orange accent on the release button for the bezel, because today they made it blue, gradient blue, blue ceramic ring around the pusher. They, on the videos I checked last night, I saw that the case construction and the construction of the crown are different, but I suggest maybe we'll walk through each model together, Rob, if you don't mind. I'm very curious to hear what your initial thoughts are, please. Okay, again, my initial thoughts are not bad, actually. I, I'll say this. I think that it's interesting. I think that the colorway is seasonal, very appropriate for the summer. It's nice. It's been done by Bulgari recently with the Capri version of their aluminum or aluminum watch, which I actually really love and think is an altogether more suitable canvas for that kind of color expression. Because the thing is with Omega, with these watches in particular, they're all quite serious watches and the color is quite uh, how can I put it? Quite youthful, quite relaxed, quite linen shirt and shorts by the pool kind of colorway, you know? And I'm not sure how congruous these degradé dials are when it comes to serious dive instruments. But okay, let's just accept that the vast majority of us buy these watches that are intended for divers theoretically don't actually dive. So who am I to talk about that? I like the fact they've also used blue loom in a lot of cases as well. So they've really gone all out with uh, creating an icy oceanic visage for these watches. Now, let's start nearest to the surface. As Alon rightly points out, the dials do get darker as the depth rating increases with the Aqua Terror. Okay, my quick takeaway here. Um, it's Daryl, it's Baron, it's an Aqua Terror. Like all Aqua Terrors, the advantage of Aqua Terrors, as I said to someone in our network the other day, is that they are the kind of watches that get better on the wrist, the more you wear them. They are exceptionally well made. They are beautifully finished. There are lots of nice details that reveal themselves to you over time when you have them on their wrist. They never blow me away. I would regard them, like I do many of Omega's watches, as the best boring watches you can buy, as in they won't let you down. They will not wow you, but they will probably become firm friends over a long period of time. Alan, what do you think of the Aquaterra? I love the Aquaterra. Aquaterra is was already the platform for them to make it a lifestyle watch, meaning playing with colors. There are there were a lot of dial colors already available in the 39 and the 41 and a half. They launched last year, I nicknamed the Stella Dial. So they made it 38. And they made it a bit of a day date-ish bracelet. 
So they added that as an additional sub-collection to the Aquaterra and did a lot of funky colors. That's okay. It is an urban watch. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not even a desk diver because it doesn't have a bezel. So, and then they made a split between a feminine touch and a male touch, meaning they have these boat-like indexes on the dial. Those are the more feminine dials, and they don't have the teak pattern on the dial. The bigger ones, the 39 and the 41 and a half, have an engraved teak motif, horizontal lines on the dial, and uh, the indexes are more stepped triangles, which also are very cool, made out of white gold. Uh, I like them. I actually liked the fashion aspect of the summer blue to these line extensions. And for a capsule collection, it's not clear to me if it's a limited run or a temporary run, but I guess what we've seen with the Snoopy, they don't say anything how long that capsule collection will be produced. And my guess and my experiences with Omega are that this will stay that way. So, Rob, let's go to the next one. Okay, just before we move on from there, I just want to agree with you wholeheartedly that I think that this colorway suits the Equaterra perhaps best of all of them because it is the lifestyle platform. And it's a really good point, really good way of describing it. And it sits very nicely alongside the other watches already in the Equaterra collection. Although I must say, the lightest of all the blue fades is also the least inspiring. For me, it's the weakest. And it's a shame because it's it's the colorway deployed on the most congruous style of watch and the limitation aspect i think you're absolutely right it's going to be a bit of a snoopy thing omega has cleverly controlled the narrative on this front saying they're getting rid of limited editions and you know making a nominal push to not deny people access to the watches they want but keeping all of the cards in their hands allowing themselves to discontinue watches as and when they see the demand is starting to drop on to the next watch the globe master the world timer is it still called the globe master good one i totally forgot about that well the funny thing is it was never called the globe master because the globe master is the watch in the deville range with the fluted bezel so you're also <laughs> it's a good watch you know that's a, that's an underrated watch the globe master not this watch the world timer my apologies the Seamaster world timer okay so this is a watch that I think splits opinion. Again, we have the teak deck panel that Alan referenced before, but this time going vertically and not entirely straight, actually slightly curved out to echo the longitudinal lines of the earth. And in the very middle of this dial, we have a realistic rendering of the earth. You can see it with uh, Canada, uh, Greenland on the left, uh, Russia on the right, and the UK just I'll get out there above Spain down at six o'clock. Top of Africa is visible. This uh, is a watch which aesthetically will certainly split opinion. It has never been a watch I find attractive in the least. I think it's quite ooh, overt, shall we say. It reminds me a little bit like the old Patek Philippe's, but doesn't make sense as much as they do because their style is consistent from the outside to the inside. And this watch, to me, it looks like a sporty watch, but it has this really lifestyle really almost lifelike rendering of the earth in the middle it's it's a clash of styles for me and i've never loved it how do you feel about it i am with you 100 percent. commercially it actually did rather well the watch we sold quite a few of them but 
if I was Omega, do you really need to push this really non-water-related watch into this capsule collection? I don't know. Maybe they wanted to give it a podium to push it a bit more. Um, the caliber is cool. Yeah. And the world timer from, well works well, especially on the Master Coaxial, because they always link the hour hand already to the date. This, so you could always swing very quickly back and forward, even through midnight. So you don't damage a date disc. But um, you see, I also, in my in my mental recollection, I totally forgot about that one. Yeah, but I'm not surprised because it's not very good, really. It's a bit of a mishmash of all sorts of things. It has its redeeming features, but I just don't think they hang together very well. One thing that does hang together, though, is the concept surrounding this whole release and the execution of the web page that Omega has put together. So if you have access to a computer, go to www.omegawatches.com slash precision hyphen at hyphen every hyphen level and you will see this wonderful presentation which has on the right hand side a depth rating and as you scroll down not only will the depth change to the correct depth rating of each watch on display but the screen will get progressively darker blue as you venture into the deep it's a really really nice visual presentation so yeah, I gotta give kudos to the uh, Omega Design Department, whoever's responsible for this. This is, yeah, so far the best thing about the release. But things are about to get better because when we dive down to three hundred meters, we get to the Diver three hundred M, as Alon mentioned before, distinguished from the other Diver three hundred by that big M and also the Appalachian Professional, as we often attach to it. This is an oceanic icon, according to Omega, and I cannot disagree. I have long said it's one of the best priced dive watches in the entire industry for what you get although with this release that might be about to change because the price is creeping upwards and it looks likely that omega is going to make these prices a little bit more heavy as we go forwards in terms of design though alan this one is pretty good i'd say it's up there with the best of the range right within the omega range the 300m nicknamed the gems one is the most popular i believe it's always has been the most popular I love it on paper, but I've never owned one and I don't have the ambition to own one. I think I love the 300 without the M the most. Now, what I like about this execution very much so is the two technical improvements or adjustments they did. And, and I still don't have the answer how they created the gradient effect on the ceramic dials because they did not. I believe, baked in the gradient effect into the dial. So it's an addition. And I haven't heard anybody write or speak or the videos I've seen explaining how they did that. So I think that's a first for Omega. And what I believe they did differently on the bezel, the ceramic bezel, the insert apparently, the blue numbers on the bezel are enamel. And I don't think Omega has ever done that. That's true. And I also have a technical answer as to how they managed to get that gradient onto the ceramic bezel because I too was curious. So I looked into it and the answer is it's PVD coated. I thought initially it would be CVD coated for some reason. I just thought that it had a very crystalline structure to it when it caught the light as I saw from the promo videos. But as it turns out, it is just a PVD treatment to give that effect. But again, I say that this is probably the finest execution of the dive the depth concept. Should we call it the depth concept? I think that kind of fits with what they're saying. I, I absolutely love it. Can I draw your attention to a couple of things that I think need 
serious discussion, especially from your perspective as a retailer. Now, from the top, I mentioned that the prices were getting a bit of a hike. Now, the price for this model on the bracelet is 6,700 euros. Okay, now, until very recently, it was possible to pick up a brand new Seamaster 300M for under 5,000 euros. Um, that's not been the case for a couple of years, but that's a significant hike. The price for this model on the rubber strap is 6,300 euros. So before we move on to comparing this with the other models in the collection, it's worth saying if you are going to buy this model, do get it on the bracelet because that 400 euro discrepancy at the purchase, at the point of purchasing the watch is less than the discrepancy of the aftermarket bracelet cost and the aftermarket rubber strap cost. So you can save a bit of money there if you want both. Buy the watch on the bracelet and then get the rubber strap and the buckle bought in separately now to compare it to the other models the necton edition which used to be like around six and a half thousand has now sprung up to seven and a half thousand you will notice the standard model on the bracelet is now itself six thousand three hundred so the same price as this summer colorway uh on the rubber and then the rubber strap version of the standard 300m has now also crept up to five thousand nine hundred euros we are seeing this across the board from Omega in recent days. And if you think that it's exclusive to the standard collection, then take a look at the Coaxial Master Chronometer 42mm 007 edition from No Time to Die, Daniel Craig's last watch as James Bond. That is now on the bracelet, €10,700. Now, Alon, did you notice when that watch broke the €10,000 barrier? So I've noticed that because I was buying in and selling out these watches. So yeah, I've noticed that. And they are getting away with it. People are buying it, bro. Well, I'm not surprised because, I mean, it is a beautiful watch. But I mean, that's, that's I think, a, almost a couple of thousand more than it was when it launched a couple of years ago. And these prices, they're not going down anytime soon. So I used to write frequently, as I said, that the 300M was one of the industry sort of gems hiding in plain sight i suppose i would describe it as but now it has maybe hit the value that it should have been then and is no longer what i would call a bargain in fact i think that it is really pushing its luck at 6700 for this new version 6300 for the standard on the bracelet one thing that the new version the depth dial version has that the other one doesn't is a closed case back and it features the Poseidon Riding 2 Hippocampi, as you mentioned. And I don't like that as an upgrade. I think actually that if this summer blue dial had an open case back and revealed the beautiful coaxial movement that powers it, I'd be very inclined to stump up the cash for it. But as always, Omega has failed to provide me with the perfect Seamaster 300M. And despite my support for it as a watch in the past, I never bought one of these new ones because I always thought there was something wrong with it. I left the neck on, but again, closed case back. I want to see that beautiful movement. Why have the movement on the regular collection and then close it on the special editions? It maddens me. Does it affect your opinion of the watches, Alon? Does it make you more or less likely to buy them? And what do you think about this particular case back execution? Again, I am with you 100%. It's, it's rare that we agree so much. Um, I, I don't see the added value. Um, the, the, the logo, I believe, is invented for this anniversary because it's not historic. 
the beauty of these 8,000 caliber family is that they are a magnetic. They already had see-through case back. The caliber is beautiful to look at. So this is technically not a limited edition either. I don't find the visual beautiful either. So no, it's a downgrade instead of an upgrade, in my humble opinion. And can we just be honest about the fact that this is a pretty crap drawing of Poseidon? Like, look at his face. I mean, look at the state of it. It's, it's Okay, it's a certain style. They're trying to be a little bit retro, a little bit throwback. And retro is another word for crap. Like, everything was worse in the past, even though sometimes, as we established uh, recently, that worse is not always worse in watchmaking. This is a bit of a piss take. I mean... Look at the back of the Lavender Submarine if you want to see some good quality artwork well engraved on the back of a watch. This surely is not the best Omega could do. You know, there must be an artist in the world that could do a more like commanding, exciting, enticing picture of Poseidon. I mean, this guy looks like he's been too close to the sun. He looks like he's melted. Well said. And what I've noticed is they could have added Seamaster's 75th anniversary or something. You don't need to write that to limited edition. They just write Seamaster since 1948. Yeah, why? What's with that word choice? Why have they worded it like that? I don't know why, because they want to keep it open-end. A 75th makes it limited in time, right? So if you're going to sell it 2024, 2025, people don't know what the what year is linked to the anniversary, maybe? Uh, that's a good point, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it, it makes it makes it more prestigious in a way, doesn't it? Because like that 48 year is not changing, but its age or its distance from us in the present will increase. Okay, fair enough. I actually don't mind that. I think that's okay. Quite clever, actually. I'll go with that. You won me on that one. Okay, um, let's move on to the watch that I think you probably have quite a soft spot for, the Seamaster 300. Do you want to take this one away? Sure thing. So as I said, that's my favorite watch in the Seamaster collection. Close second is the Propof, but that's not a daily watch. So 300 is based on the initial hardcore dive watch Omega made with a bezel. I believe it was 1957. Well, I need to double check myself. I personally have the Trilogy set launched in 2017. So I have that retro-inspired model in there. The modern one was, as we see it today, launched, I believe, two years ago. They upgraded it with a lollipop seconds hand, and I love the sandwich dial. The gradient works well here. There is no date. What I loved on the 300M is that they color match the date disc to the blue surrounding the opening of the date window. So not much to add. It works here. I do think that the baby blue contrast they do on all these watches is not timeless though so if you're looking for a timeless version of all of these watches i highly recommend to opt for the regular model what do you think rob yeah what what do i think um this is an interesting model the thing that really just knocked me off my chair was the price of this one i hate to just be one of those guys that talks about the price all the time but it is it's so jarring to me now that i can't even enjoy the watch or even like consider it or entertain it Seven thousand nine hundred euros seven thousand nine hundred euros this is almost an eight thousand euro watch and it's well for me it's not as good as a 300m functionally it lacks the date it does have the sandwich dial which is nice but 
I have always loved the applied markers on the 300M and the ceramic dial. And I think that the PVD treatment, as we mentioned on that one, is really, really nice. Here, I think it's all a bit weak when it comes together. We first saw these 300 throwbacks launched, not entirely in this style. As Alan said, this, this one's been around a couple of years, but we saw the first 57 Trilogy model released in 2017, I think, for the uh, 60th anniversary. And I still prefer that one, which had like the double level bezel. Do you remember? It had like sort of metal ring around the inside and then the black ring around the outside. I thought that was super cool. And this one, I thought, just got a little bit weaker when they gave it the full colored bezel. And honestly, if you pick this one over the 300M, I don't know what to say to you. Don't. Um, one of the bezels. There was something with this bezel also that I think they changed according or, or in reference to the regular model, but I don't think this was enamel, but could this be a sapphire ring? They, they photoshopped these images so hardcore to focus on the gradient of the dials that it's a mishmash of everything. They, they, they tweaked everything a little bit, but I can't find the info. So I'm sorry to our dear listeners. I owe the answer. Um, going to the next one, Will. The Planet Ocean. What do you think? Well, this one is actually pretty good for my money. I'm not a major fan of the Planet Ocean watches in general. And that's not to say I don't think they're good watches. I actually think they're excellent watches. I just feel that for me personally, they were always a little bit on the top-heavy side. I didn't enjoy the wearing experience of them so much. And I think they were a little bit of their time. I think they're a little bit passe in some ways now, but I'll, I'll say this for them. I think enough time is passing between their release and the modern day that they seem to be coming almost cool in their own right as a sort of retro throwback. As a tool, I think it's really good. I like the legibility. Vertical brush dials are not my favorite thing, but it does work here. The extremely dark outer edge looks really great against the blued indices and the blued hands and the light blue loom. Also the blued Omega logo, that's a really nice touch here as well. That That's something a little different from the models we've seen thus far in this collection. So the other ones have all had silver or white or I think old, old gold for the world timer printed on there. Now we're down in the deep water. We have this, yeah. Blued logo, blued hands, blued indices. And I was really against these blued elements on the dial because they're not heat blued, obviously. Until I had a Seamaster, until I had a Speedmaster broad arrow with them. And they're so nice in real life. They're so beautiful and they draw you in. And yeah, they're enticing. That's the word. They really, really make you stare at them. You can't believe anything so beautiful. So you can't believe anything so perfect, really, when you look at it for the first time. So do I like this watch? Yeah, I actually think it's pretty damn cool. Is it one that I would buy myself? Yeah, probably not. But as far as this collection goes, it's at the moment, I'd say so far, it's in the number two position behind the Seamaster 300M for me. How do you rank it currently, Ella? I always loved the Planet Oceans. Design-wise, I thought they're more appealing than the 300M, but they were always too big in diameter and too as well, going to your VII. So I'm happy it's 39 and a half. What really appealed to me here is the vertical brushed effect on a ceramic dial. 
I don't like those high gloss ceramic dials. This one, as you said, they also did PVD treatment. I have a technical question for you, bro. How fixed is the color you think on PVD applied to ceramic? Because the beauty of ceramic dials is they are fixed in color, unless you love patina, obviously, and then you're out of luck. So do, what is your knowledge on that? And have we ever seen PVD on ceramics before? I've, I've never encountered that personally. I'm not sure I have consciously either. I think it's a nice technique and I would say the answer is very. Uh, it's a very color fast treatment. I mean, all surface treatments like powder treatments that we use like chemical vapor deposition or um, powder vapor deposition or whatever it is, these things actually bond with the surface of the underlying substrate and they form a, a very, very, very tough union and in a safe space like the chamber of a watch so you've got the sapphire crystal protecting it from a lot of atmospheric changes on the outside of the world and you know it's very uv resistant i can't imagine this shifting color at all in several lifetimes so i'd be very confident about it very very confident that it's not going to suddenly patina or blow up into some weird tropical version of what it is today i would uh, give it my blessing scientifically oh and another thing the price the price in this instance i think is pretty attractive 7900 euros exactly the same as the seamaster 300 but for me this is a lot more watch for that money how do you feel they compare at the same price a lot they have gone berserk and most of the brands have gone berserk and and it's as if they're abusing and misusing the situation of inflation, uh, demand for watches surpassed supply, and 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 in Omega specific case, they have been going after the crown for decades, and we'll come to that when we discuss the ultra deep, because I think they made a pathetic move, but we'll come to that later. They believe they are at the same quality level or higher. And if they believe that truth, their own truth, then they think their products are too cheap. So Omega will keep going at it until their pricing is just below, up to par, or above par compared to Rolex. So I always used to sell it. It's amazing value for money which Omega delivers because they are top notch are they at the same level as Rolex on many fronts they aren't mostly in finishing elegance is slimness quality depends what parameter we're using they on some fronts are higher because the master coaxial movements or the master chronometer movements which are coaxial and often amagnetic, are amazing. But they're not slim and elegant. So if we take the VII, for example, again, they'll lose out. But I don't think they should compare themselves. Omega is so epic. Their watches are so legendary. They need to focus on themselves. So that's what I think. And... I think everybody should get off their high horse in Switzerland, especially 
with the pricing. It will come bite them very much in their arse, I think. It's a good thing to say, actually, because I think we mentioned recently in response to one of the questions we got in to the mailbag that it's very difficult for a brand to walk back prices of extant models. And I suggest that the only way to do it really was to sort of clear out that model entirely from the catalog and bring in something new to fill the price point that had been vacated by its price elevation. But the issue that Omega has here is the prices are going up so significantly across the board. We're now looking at a case where there's not a huge amount to choose anymore, or again, should I say, between a Submariner and a Seamaster 300M. There is significant money. There's a couple of thousand still left in that in that gap. But the Rarelux is a hype piece. The 300M has never been a hype piece. So like you've got guys on the street who don't know a damn thing about watches lusting over a Rolex Submariner. Omega, as good as its products are, and as good or as worthy as they are of being priced the same as Rolex, shouldn't try and match Rolex's prices because Rolexes are wildly overpriced. So if you go up to that level, then you kind of hamstring yourself because then it's a question of like, do you want to overpay for this product because both products are overpriced and not get the brand cachet that you get with the Rolex for the sake of the Omega? That's a tough situation. They are now, I think, at maximum capacity for those price differentials. So if Omega stays where it is now, it will probably still get the business it deserves. If it hadn't gone to this point, it would have gotten a lot more business, I think, from people that saw it as a bargain, people like me, who were just waiting for the right configuration of the 300M. But they'll have to be careful. This cannot continue. They have to wait. They have to watch the market. Look at what is happening to the secondary market now. Prices are collapsing all over the place. I looked at the next watch on our list, the second-hand version of it, and I thought, you know what? Now is the time to buy because look how much is collapsing. And then I thought, hang on a second. Maybe now isn't the time to buy because this doesn't seem to be the Mariana Trench of the secondary market that we're cruising towards at this stage. So without further ado, let's dive even further into the depths of Omega's novelties and find ourselves at 1,200 meters below the surface and staring face-to-face with the new Ploprof, which is the new Ploprof, but really the old Ploprof in many ways. So not only is this watch made in steel, hallelujah, not only does it have a sapphire bezel once more like the previous iteration prior to the current titanium and ceramic models, hallelujah, it is also a wee bit smaller. Now, it's still 55 millimeters across, but instead of 48 millimeters lug to lug, it is just 45 millimeters, much more akin to the original version of this watch. Alan, what do you make of the new Ploprof? So the whole watch community, the watch fam, went ballistic yesterday and today over the Ploprof. And if you isolate that feedback, everybody would believe that's the number one seller out of this capsule collection. But with my retail experience, the Ploprof was a very bad seller in every modern iteration they made. And I believe the original one didn't sell well either. But hey, that was really made for uh, divers like Jacques Cousteau, comics divers, blah, blah, blah. So the real professional divers. And the title, the name Ploprof stands for the French. It's an abbreviation for Plongeur Professionnel, so professional divers. For those that didn't know where that word comes from. Uh, I love it. All watch geeks, almost everyone loves it. I love it because it fits into the category FFF. Form follows function. I love Defender cars. For those that listen often to this podcast knows that I'm crazy about Land Rover Defenders. Because it's so ugly, it's beautiful. The same goes for the Blow Pro. Um, And when you make 
iterations of an epic historic legendary watch, I believe you should stay as close as possible as you can. I don't say you need to make a hardcore copy. What I've hoped with this relaunch of the ProProf, so let's call it 3.0 in modern Omega times, I hope they would make an original one, meaning black dial, black bezel, orange accents, and then do the capsule collection next to it. So I, I think they focus so hardcore on this summer blue, which is weird because summer is only one of the four seasons in a year. So why limit it so much? What Revelation. What a revelation on air, that this bloody hell. Headline. Yeah. Better. Fucking hell. Well, if you live in Cali, maybe you have longer summers or summer vibes, but in Holland, the summer doesn't even last two months. But why such an epic collection, such a nice anniversary, link that to something that only lasts three months, technically. But I guess we'll see very soon a black version like I want to see in the ProProf. So, the highlight for me as a watch nerd is that they gave us back the blowpuff. And that is a kind of wink or a thank you to the watch collecting, collecting community, I think, from Omega. Because for them, this is not a profit center. And looking at the price, you might think that it's a profit center. And I do think they went out of control there. Probably they're going to say create a monoblock case is very expensive, la 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 la. But in the end, it's just marketing. And we see that with Tech Hoyer. Tech Hoyer wants to make their Monaco watch their Daytona. So they're limiting supply to regular dealers. They're making mo uh, mono brand boutique only. Uh, they're jacking up prices like crazy. I have a feeling Omega is applying the same strategy here. And I wanted to add something to what you said on the previous model at the end, Rob, prices will not come down. I'm, 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 I'm willing to bet a big chunk of money on it at Omega. So for all of you that are on the fence to buy one and think this is too high, don't linger if you have the cash because it won't come down if you want a brand new watch. But on the second-hand markets, I don't think pricing will come down either because Omega is controlling distribution hardcore, as I said previously. They want to limit doors. They want to do verticalization, so push as much as possible through their own verticals like Tourbillon boutiques and their own monobrand boutiques and their own e-com. So no more discounts. And with that, the delta in price difference between RRP and market price will also diminish. They want to cut discounts. So that's two cents from my side. Rob, I'm very curious what you want to add to that. Okay, well, firstly, I will also talk about the price a little bit, but not before I've addressed the aesthetics and the response. This is an absolute triumph in almost all ways for Omega. For me, it is easily the best watch in this capsule release, and it beats out the 300M, which was my favorite up until this point by quite some way. And it beats out the watch that's going to follow it. So we can just go ahead and say, this is the winner for me. This is the one which I would consider buying for a few reasons. The Playoff was my grail watch when I was training to be a watchmaker. Back then, a new one in steel, 55 by 48 mil on a bracelet could be had for around 6K. 
and on the pre-love market, you could get them for around four. And that was six or 4K more than I had. In fact, it was 13 or 10K more than I had at the time. And I, in fact, it was 13 or 11K more than I had at the time, but I coveted it. I desperately dreamed of owning one one day. Black dial, sapphire bezel, anodized, I guess, orange, aluminium pusher to release the bezel. I never got around to buying one. By the time I had the kind of money that would have been necessary to buy one at the prices I was talking about then, the watch had been discontinued and replaced with a titanium version. The titanium version wears very comfortably. In fact, the Blowcroft, despite its weird dimensions and bulky look, is not an uncomfortable watch on the wrist. It follows the wrist quite nicely. Its lug-to-lug is always the most important measurement at 48mm. It wasn't enormous. The titanium one, though, just didn't have the heft. As I said in the real-time network, a Blowcroft should be a tool. It should be a weapon. You should be able to club to death a seal with a watch like that. You shouldn't. Because as I said, with great power comes great responsibility. And when you have one of these watches on your wrist, you have great power. And you should be conscious of that. And you should not abuse that power. Now, that titanium one lacked that power. It didn't have the gravitas. It didn't have that oomph about it. You could even see it. You could see how light it was from a distance. And it was just a a charlatan, a, a role player, an imitator. This one, although it's smaller by three millimeters lug to lug, which means it's going to be eminently more wearable for a whole load more people, still has the original toolish vibe. Now, do I think that a degradé or fumé dial on a Plowcroft makes any sense? No, I don't. I think that it's weirdly incongruous. It, It doesn't really fit and whatever. If you like it, that's fine. That's not the point. The point is that this model, this monoblock model with these dimensions, with the return of a sapphire bezel insert, this is big news. Also, as one of our members of the network pointed out, the lead width has remained the same, still 24 millimeters. So that old bracelet that they had on the previous model can come straight back into the collection now. And once we've got some more palatable colors, just give us black and black again with the orange accents or even a bit of neon red, maybe, which is a little bit more like the original, if we're being fair. We are going to be celebrated. Now, it does have the slightly naff drawing of Poseidon and his little seahorses on the back. But it's laser engraved this time into the case. And because of that, it's a little sharp. It's a little less offensive. It's not great, but it's not an abomination as it is in the stamped versions of the case back, in my opinion. What we have, though, is a platform for the Plowcroft to have some serious success. When I say serious success, I'm obviously going to qualify that as serious success for a Plowcroft. And as Alan rightly points out, in comparison to other watches, rounder watches, the sales volumes are going to be through the floor. And the pricing is um, something we have to talk about. It's 13,800 euros. It's 15,200 euros. That's a lot of money. That is over twice the price of what the Plowprof in steel was when I was trained to be a watchmaker less than 20 years ago. That's crazy. That's a huge spike for a watch that is not commercially viable, really. But the pricing here is a very different phenomenon from the pricing of the 300M or the 300 or even the Equaterra or the Planet Ocean. Here, this is such a specific watch and has such a specific customer, the price barely factors into the decision-making process. If you want a Plowprof 
you want a Ploprof. You have no choice but to buy a Ploprof. There is no alternative. This is one of those rare occasions in the industry where you literally have no other option. And so you have to pay whatever Omega tells you to pay for the Ploprof. And if you're the kind of customer that wants a Ploprof, you will probably pay it. The thing is, there aren't many of those customers and Omega knows it. So I think they have to jack in a few more thousand to the price here to make the production even financially viable for them. And it may not, it wouldn't even surprise me. This sounds crazy when you're charging nearly 16K for a watch. But it wouldn't even surprise me if Omega ends up losing money on the Ploprof's existence. I think it's worth it. I think it's a great marketing exercise. I think it's a fantastic ambassador. I think it's one of the truest souls left in modern watchmaking. And I will be very interested to see what kind of pieces come out in the future. Will I pay 15,200 euros for this watch on a rubber or more like 16 for this watch on a bracelet? Honestly, probably not, even though it's going to be the perfect glow prop for me when they get the colorway right. I'm going to look at the secondary market. I'm going to look at these watches collapsing in price down from 10,000 to 9,000 to 8,000 to 7,000 euros. And if I see a steel one with a bracelet in half decent condition for anything close to 6K, then I'm going to pull the trigger. Because this is the ultimate, as I accidentally called, coined in the group, whack a fuck watch. You want it to be beaten to hell. You want it to be absolutely put through the mill. You want it to look like it's been dragged through 10 miles of mud and taken down every trench going and bashed against every peak in the world because it's that kind of character. So on the secondary market, you don't need one that's so box fresh because if you're wearing it right and for the right reasons, then you're going to deck it anyway. So anyway, that's all I'm saying. I'm very enthusiastic. I think Omega's done a great job in the design of this watch. I think that when they release more palatable colorways, it will be a superstar in the collection. I don't think it'll sell, but I'm very glad that it exists. Very passionate. Very passionate. And thank you for that, Rob. Um, while I was listening to you, I had a good look and you said it. Sapphire bezel makes it expensive. And uh, it, it is a more complex watch to make. I prefer the laser etched case back on this one instead of the, I don't think the other ones are stamped, but let's say engraved or milled. So that's also a big difference. Um, and obviously the case construction is different. I, I didn't hear anybody in the review speak about the different construction for the crown, because I believe in the previous models, when you unscrew it, the, the, the bar covering the crown on the left would come out together. And here it seems the crown comes out. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, and do you think that the black dialed bezeled version with orange X's will come? And if so, when? A hundred percent. It has to come. It has to. There's no point in Omega spending the money on developing this piece if they don't put a model that people might actually buy out there. I mean, this is, this is cute. And if you've got a yacht down in Central Pay, then I'm sure that you'll be tempted to spend 15,200 euros on this spot. The only commercial hope in hell Omega has of making the Plobrof a success is to give us the black and black with the orange accents, surely. And to answer your question, let's say next year. Okay, interesting. I think we'll see maybe before the end of the year even, personally. But okay. All right, the last one, Rob. I'm super curious if you're that annoyed as I am with the Ultra Deep. Uh, well, you've had a lot of my voice recently, so I'll try and keep this short. I'm actually quite impressed with this Ultra Deep. I've always thought the Ultra Deep was a bit ridiculous, but it's not a bad looking watch. It's just proportionally out there for me to wear uh, if I wasn't 
actually dive in. I like the dial. I believe it's the Mariana Trench that's being represented on there. And I think that it kind of suits it. Is it a watch that I'd pay 13,800 euros for? Again, probably not. But overall, I think it's one of the better designs in the range. It would be my third favorite, I think. I like the laser engraved coin design of the Poseidon riding his little ponies on the back there. That's pretty cute. Uh, it's actually a better execution than even on the Ploprof and the best execution of uh, all case backs in this this range. And yeah, I'd give it a solid 7.5 out of 10, really. I think it's a really, really nice looking watch. But there is something about it that will split opinion, and I'm sure, Alon, you will tell us exactly what that is. So let's always start with positive. I do love the Ultra Deep from the first moment it was launched, especially the titanium with the fixed lugs and therefore can only be worn with a rubber textile or velcro strap i like what they did with the dial because apparently they did an etch of the deepest point of this mariana trench based on one million touch points so if you zoom in on the picture you'll see the the landscape of the trench etched with laser on the dial but then, and then part of my French, they effed it up. So in their competition with Rolex, because Rolex had the, um, uh, I, don't, I forgot the name. It's, it's the, the ultra, ultra, super supplement, deep sea. Yeah. So the deep sea challenge. Yeah. So we have the sea dweller. Then they did the deep sea which with James Cameron, they did an exploration and they have two dials, a full black one and a gradient one going gradient in a horizontal way. So not sunburst from the middle, gradient outwards circular. So, and that's nicknamed the James Cameron watch. Then they did another exploration, I believe also to the Mariana Trench and they went to 10,000.200 meters, and then Omega went later on in history. Also, they joined an exploration dive, and they strapped a unique made version that is the precedent of the Ultra Deep, strapped onto the submarine vessel, and they went to 10,600 or something like that. And with that, their record holder of the deepest dive ever with a watch. And, it, and for the record, it was strapped on the outside of the vessel. Okay. Super cool. Super cool. They sponsored such an exploration. Super cool. They made this technical product. The civilian watch, I think, was launched two years afterwards, which was in 2022. Super cool collection. Relevant for the Seamaster collection, I would not wear it. But for those that do love Breitling Super Avengers at 45 millimeters or the Deep Sea or the Sea Dweller, etc., cool watch. And because it's a planet ocean on steroids. But then, invisible for the bare eye, when you use UV light, suddenly you'll see sketches on the dial. Okay? First thing that annoyed the F out of me was if they've done this, they should have done it with second second because this is a second second domain. It's his 
Spiel, Romarek Andre. I wish they would have contacted him to do this because then they could have gone, gotten away with these as if they're handwritten sketches on the dial. Because what do you see? You'll see when you put a UV light on the dial, just above the text ultra deep, you'll see three white, uh, they seem like islands. And then they write under the third one, just below the three o'clock marker, 10,935, I believe, meters. And then on top of that little island, They've written at the two o'clock position of the dial, Omega was here in a handwritten font with an exclamation mark. And to me, that's a sneer towards Rolex. I find it childish. I don't think it's visually beautiful. It doesn't add anything to the watch. And I don't think it's funny. So shame on you, Omega. Rob, I'm very curious what you think about it. Whoa, scornful. Shame on you, Omega. Uh, that's the soundbite that we might want to isolate. Bloody hell. I totally agree with the idea that Romarek would have been the ideal partner to do a, a special, special edition, shall we say. I, okay, we keep calling these special editions. Occasionally, I accidentally call them limited editions. What we mean is they're probably limited production rather than limited to a certain number. But And they're certainly special. But they could have done a special edition. Maybe something like this for only watch would have been a brilliant idea, you know? Get Romaric Andre on board just to graffiti uh, Omega Ultra Deep. That's pretty cool. That would have worked. Someone would have gladly paid for it. Someone in the international PR department might also have pointed out to them that the number format they used is Swiss. You know, the little marker between the 10 and the 935 on the meters is up there right at the top. It's, it's superscript rather than sub. That's uh, only something I am aware of in Europe that we use in Switzerland. So if I were trying to sell this to an American... They might have dropped that comma down between the zero and the nine, but that's pedantic. But so is analysis of watches, I suppose, and it's by its nature. Well, I think um, it's fucking weird. Like that's what I think. I, I just I, I can't bend my head around it. Like it's the sort of thing that we would joke about at a brainstorming session and then say, no, 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 we can't do that. This watch is thirteen thousand eight hundred euros. Like it's a serious piece of kit. You know, it's a dive watch. When this this loom will be glowing, you know, we want this watch to be, you know, we want this watch to be a tool. We want this watch to be something that people might actually consider using at those depths. Now, to Omega's credit, I don't know this for sure, but I am pretty sure that this message is not luminous, right? This is just uh, some UV spot printing, which shows up under a light, under a UV light, but will not glow itself in the dark. Am I right there? I have no idea. I got so annoyed, and I better hope it's just invisible ink and not luminous. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it must be, because if it were luminous, firstly, it might be a little bit more visible like in, in daylight, and secondly, that would be, I'd be ridiculous. It'd be an abom- it would be an abomination. I think the fact that it is a secret signature in a way and, Something that you would never, ever encounter unless you deliberately went looking for it with a UV light maybe saves it. Maybe. I do think it's a bit odd still. Like, I, I, I described it as weird, um, extremely weird. But um, I'm, I'm on the fence. Like, when Fratello did their second Speedy Tuesday, they had a hidden Ultraman. 
on the dial, which was very popular, and people liked that sort of secret message. So maybe this will have the same kind of resonance with the Omega Collector community. Maybe the Omega Omegarati, what do we call them? I don't even know if they have a name. Um, the Omega Boys would like the chide towards Rolex, because, I mean, it clearly is a slight towards Rolex. There's no subtlety about it whatsoever. But then again, is it not a bit petty? Like, does does Omega really want to draw attention to the fact that it's got Rolex on its mind? I mean, to me, what this says is Rolex lives in Omega's head rent-free, and it's not Rolex's problem that Omega is bothered by them. You know, I don't see this as a strong move. This is what we would call, I guess, oh, dear, can I say this? I suppose I can. Small dick energy, right? <laughs> I didn't even know that expression, but but spot on. Again, I'm sorry, I'm concurring with you all day. We have an Omega relevant question that we should address before we move on from the topic Omega if we have time. And that comes in from Waki. He asks us, of all these releases, not a single one, uses the Spirate system that Omega debuted with their Super Racing model earlier this year. By his count, and we haven't verified this, but we'll trust him because he knows what he's talking about, they've now released 13 models since the Spirate was announced, and they've not used it in any of them. As far as Waki is aware, the Super Racing is still not available either. Did Omega jump the gun and release something before it was ready to actually be delivered to market? Or have they discovered a problem with it since? Or have they decided it will damage sales with people waiting for their model of choice to get the tech? Or did they really just develop it to use very sparingly in certain models? So what do we think about this? What, why is the Spyray absent? Good question. God knows. Either it, it wasn't tested well enough, maybe launched too quickly on the Super Racing. I, I don't know. I'm I'm very curious what you as a watchmaker. I didn't read anything about it. I didn't hear anything about it. So I have no idea. I'm pretty sure that it's a mixture of all those things. I don't expect Omega to have jumped the gun in terms of announcing it and then discovered a problem with it later on. I think theoretically the Spirit system is not complicated enough for there to be a problem with it by this stage of development. They might have identified a manufacturing issue. They might not be able to make the pieces as quickly as they thought. There may be a few more QC failures. I do doubt that because the majority of that technology is pre-existing and they've just wrapped it all together in quite a clever way. I think it's actually more to do with a deliberate marketing strategy. I think they are more likely to be reserving the Spirate system for higher-end models that can command even greater prices. Because if we look at what's happened with the prices and we talked extensively, I, I hope not too much about it. Please let us know, by the way, if you find it indecorous that we talk about the prices so Candidly, I, I feel like it's probably necessary that we do as the real-time show because to gloss over these incredible amounts that brands are asking for pretty bog-standard watches these days, I think is uh, negligent. But you let me know, as listeners, please get in touch with us if you find it unpalatable in any way or you want us to spend more time on it. Perhaps we could do that also. But I think that if you dropped in the Spyro technology to the 300M now, the 6,700s euro asking price for the watch on the bracelet would be a bargain right i mean like it, it goes it instantly changes the whole proposition again because it's new tech you know the, the reason why we've got an issue with these prices is because you've just pvd coated a ceramic dial and closed a case back that didn't need closing and put a less versatile dial color on the watch and charge us 
or use it as an excuse to like creep up the prices further and further and further. Like, and I, I'm not really a fan of that. But if you stick a brand new bit of technology in there, then I'm a sucker enough to buy it. So I think that Omega knows what it's doing. And I think that the Spirey is a top end justification for slapping on a couple of grand extra where they need to. Because I think, as you rightly identified before, God, we are in accord today. How strange is this? That the watches are growing towards their Rolex counterparts pricing and that the spy rate is something additional. The spy rate is something that Omega can hold back. It's powder they can keep dry. They can afford to keep it dry. I would say that we'll see it again in the future, but don't expect to see it on a model for less than five figures. That's my feeling. Well, soon at this pace, everything will be five figures in Euro, including that for Omega. And I wanted to share one more thing. What I kind of really, really hoped was that the 75th anniversary of Omega would be a pivotal point in their history where they stepped up their sustainability game. I didn't hear anything about adopting an ocean, cleaning up an ocean, sponsoring charity related to the seas, the oceans, um, using recycled materials. Think of how relevant recycled fishnets could have been in their NATO straps or their rubber straps or their packaging. So I hope they do and are very modest about it and don't give too much noise to it. But the fact that they left Basel World was, in my humble opinion, already sad. I find it also sad that they are not joining up with the Basel 2.0, which is called Watches and Wonders. You see now brands that left like Breitling are considering to come back. But flying people in from all over the world to Mykonos is not that sustainable. I hope they at least offset the uh, carbon footprint for those flights. But I would find it cool if all of these guests would have done a beach cleanup together. So I don't want to be too pessimistic or too negative on the show. I've been rather critical, but I really, really love Omega and I love it so much. And I think they're front runners and they are industry leaders. And I think they should take that responsibility and elevate the game. So I hope people in Biel or Bien in whatever language you pronounce it are listening. Those are my two cents. And I hope that they either are planning on doing it or they've done it and we don't know about it. And I wish we get more coverage on that. But I suggest let's wrap it up. Sorry, listeners, it became an Omega special, which we didn't plan on to. But uh, thank you, Rob. I enjoyed this session. Yeah, it's been a good one. I like these rundowns. It's always good to share feelings on brand new watches as soon as we can after they are released. And I hope everybody that went out there for the launch in Mykonos had a very nice time indeed. And I look forward to seeing more of these watches on the wrist. If you would like to get in touch with us with your questions, then please do via the usual channels. You can contact me on Instagram at Rob Nuts. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S or Alon at A-L-O-N-B-E-N. J-O-S-E-P-H. You can contact us via email, either red or alon at therealtime.show or via our contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. Please like the podcast, please follow and subscribe and also share it with your friends. Leave us a nice positive comment if you have a few moments of time. We'll be back next week with more incisive watch content. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.